Becast, did a list of their top 15 sustainability technology podcasts. And lo and behold, here's Little Pirates of Clean Tech in not at number 15, not at number 12, not even number seven, number five. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is November 15th, 2022. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. Together, we are the top 15 Pirates of Clean Tech. (laughs) Top five. Top 12. We're number five. Number five, yeah. So (laughs) before we get into that, I have to say, I'm in my hometown of, of Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio. I walked into the hotel to check in last night and this is a hotel i stayed at frequently i love the front desk team and the front desk manager looked at me and before i even said a word he goes yar (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) that's awesome our followers are everywhere of every industry every walk every every way of life they're coming and listening to us oh that's awesome Uh, we definitely appreciate all the support we've had from you, our listeners, and uh, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to us if you want to partner with us, if you want us uh, to live stream from your event, or if you want to sponsor us, or you want to uh, put your brand out there and associate with a, a top five sustainability podcast, uh, feel free to reach out. Lucas and I are having a big <laughs> laugh because we got this little <laughs> bit of a surprise last week when our names popped up in Google News. And when we investigated, we found out a very nice podcast production agency named Becast did a list of their top 15 sustainability technology podcasts. And lo and behold, here's Little Pirates of Clean Tech in not at number 15, not at number 12, not even number seven, number five. (laughs) We actually don't even know if that means fifth place, but we're taking it. We're going to run with that puppy. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're running with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Joke side, thank you to everybody. We're having a blast. We're going to continue to have a blast. Like Lucas said, reach out to us. Now that we actually feel we see our numbers growing and people are reaching out to us more, uh, we may, you know, get a little bit more production quality savvy and uh, make a better podcast for the experience for everybody. But thank you to everyone. We're, we're having a blast. This takes us away from the grind of the day job. And uh, that's always good. Yeah. Thanks for being here. We really enjoy doing this. I mean, we do this uh, out of our love for for clean tech and sustainability. And um, yeah, it's great great to have you with us on our journey. Absolutely. So before we get into our articles, and we don't have a guest today. Uh, the guest that we were supposed to have today had to postpone because of some fantastic, urgent business that we'll talk about next week on our podcast. I'm happy to say, finally, I am drinking the excellent cold IPA, <laughs> cold IPA light. From which is called Lily Pond, which is made by a great Youngstown brewer called Noble Creature Cask House in downtown Youngstown. They took an old church and converted it. It's very cool. But what I especially love about this, this is one of the two beers they have made that specifically the proceeds from it goes towards the gorgeous Mill Creek Park in Youngstown, Ohio. It was actually considered one time Mill Creek was the second largest city park in the United States. Now it's actually owned and run by the county, so they don't count it that way. But uh, it's a gorgeous park, and the owner of Noble Creature said during the pandemic, he spent a lot more time in the park. And so as a thank you, as a homage, he came up with this excellent IPA. And I'll tell you, it's freezing outside right now. This is definitely more of a crisp summer IPA, but I'm enjoying it. It's taking me back right now. So 
Oh, good deal. Yeah, I'm just drinking, sadly, I'm drinking tonic water with no gin because uh, I have some meetings after this. But um, yeah, Fever Tree tonic water is my favorite kind of premium premium tonic water. So I recommend it. Well, there you go. Well, listen, why don't why don't we get right into the articles? Um, All right. Since, uh, since that's what our top 15 status is based on, delivering the news. Okay, you're up. I'm always at first. So actually, <laughs> I have four stories. Um, I'm not going to go through them super fast, but these aren't the deepest stories we've had. Uh, two of them are actually from CNBC. Uh, CNBC has been doing some really good coverage of sustainable energy lately. Uh, this is from Natasha Turek, November 1st. The U.S. and the UAE signed a strategic partnership deal to spur 100 billion with a B in clean energy investment. So quick and easy read. Apparently um, last week, President Biden and the UAE signed a partnership. They call it PACE, uh, which is going to mobilize over 100 billion in investment financing to support, listen to this, 100 gigawatts of clean energy generation by 2035. 100 gigawatts, that's that's like 85 DeLoreans going back in time. <laughs> um, this is, this is yeah, but it's truly remarkable. Um, you know, obviously the UAE is looking to diversify itself. It's, it's made its money. It's established itself as a global powerhouse based on the oil economy. Uh, even with the price, price increases this year in a barrel of oil, which are, I'm sure they're doing really well, they recognize that we're probably at peak demand. And so, you know, this is just a really good article that highlights a lot of what they're working on. A lot of this, which is really interesting, because you keep seeing the same phrases and the same themes in some of these MOUs, supply chain, helping people create the supply chain for mutual benefit for the countries, you know, managing carbon and also methane emissions, which is big in the oil and gas industry, you know, smart use of nuclear energy and just taking decarbonization out of like the, the transportation part of supply chain. So I really thought this is a great, um, a great article. You know, when I was reading it, I kept thinking to myself, there were so many times in my economic development days that we signed MOUs with provinces and other parts of the world and in countries, and you don't know the follow-up isn't necessarily there. And so the question is, who's going to be paying attention to see if this follow-up generates something meaningful? I suspect it will, because there's a lot of high hands and eyes on these types of MOUs, especially with COP27. This is even talking about COP28. It's going to be in the Middle East. Uh, so I do think there's going to be some follow through. We have to watch it. Uh, I also think the UAE has the luxury of putting a lot of capital to work. That's going to help us get to our targets that now are in question if we're going to get there by 2050. So overall, a good article. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, this is exactly what we've been calling for. We would love the existing energy industry to come along with us because of their huge, you know, mountains of capital that they can invest in these things. And uh, you know, there's going to be winners and losers, but but if you don't hedge the losers, you know, they become your opponent. So, you know, working with them, if they're going to lose on oil exports, then they should gain on clean energy exports, right, to offset that. So I really like this. It's strategically very smart. I really like this. Very cool. I agree. So why don't we go to the next one? Before we go to the next one, I said to Jeff and the team at Vintage Estates, beer and wine shop, who I where I bought the noble creature to give them a shout out. One of the biggest beer stores in the United States, over 1,300 beer beer labels in one oh, store. Wow. It's okay. Now, this is actually not a news story. It's a press release. But um, this is really important for us here in New York. And, again, talking about supply chain. 
So Governor Hochul, and congratulations, the first female governor, actually elected governor in New York, uh, although she's been governor for about a year now. Governor Hochul announces more than $3.7 million to bring climate tech manufacturing products to New York through the M-Corp program, which is actually a kind of a regeneration of the existing program. But this program will connect startups to local supply chain to scale climate technologies. This is a press release from November 9th. Uh, I'm just going to full disclosure, my, my day job at SolarBlock, I've definitely been in communication with NYSERDA for their services. So I uh, want to make sure people know that. I think this is the type of stuff we need because this is getting into the weeds a little bit. This is trying to marry some of the act, you know, some of the things that are taking place in, in New York state with terms of solar development, offshore wind development, and actually making sure that the economy feels it by making sure that companies locally actually have access to it through the supply chain. So this is supporting, you know, climate tech startups and also connecting them with companies that could, you know, be vendors and suppliers. I see this every day myself with my company, you know, we're making an innovative solar, solar block but we're using an existing supply chain that we can help those suppliers diversify their end users. And, and that's a win-win for everybody. So uh, just a quick shout out to NYSERDA. I'd like to see other states, you know, either taking DOE money that they may be getting infrastructure money and using it to good work by helping local existing companies make that conversion from selling into existing industries to selling into the green energy supply chain. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm in agreement here. This is really important. This has to be done. This is another one of those middle transition issues where people start to realize, well, wait a minute. It's not easy to just go clean energy overnight. Uh, things are messy. We have to develop supply chains. We have uh, we have to create all new industries, right? And this is going to take time. So this is great to see the state actually doing something to help the situation. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And, you know, um, again, like we have to focus on these things now because these things take years to get through the system. You're going to create a supply chain map. That means that supply chain is not going to be up and running for three, four, five years. Okay. And then we're starting to butt up against our 2050 targets. So these are things that should have already taken place. The fact that they didn't is water under the bridge. Let's focus on it going forward. Yeah, agreed. All right. Going back to CNBC, I love this story. This is like my story of the week. Green hydrogen corridor aims to harness Spanish sunshine, and decarbonize Europe's industrial north. Hmm. This is really cool. This is talking about building an offshore wind and solar supply chain, not supply chain, sorry, kind of a a whole system of renewable power generation that's going to go from Spain all the way up to the port of Rotterdam and connect it so that there's sources of renewable energy needed for the electrolysis process to make Europe one of the green hydrogen leaders in the world. This is really important because as we speak, Russia's still bombing Ukraine. It's going to be a cold winter. It's gotten very cold here in the States. So Europe is probably getting very cold. And we know that there's going to be energy issues in Europe this year related to uh, the disruption caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So generating green hydrogen, you know, for various reason, uses for an uh, end user basis is going to be incredibly important. So uh, I think the company is called CESPA, which is involved in the uh, exploration production of oil and gas, is harnessing and trying to create this green hydrogen supply chain. So going back, and they're owned by a Carlyle Group, which was one of my former clients who I used to have a lot of respect for in terms of doing some big, bold, innovative projects. You know, Lucas, I like this one again because what you said a few months, a few weeks, uh, sorry, a few hours ago, <laughs> really, 
when it comes to like bringing the oil and gas industry along, we need them. We need their resources. We need their engineering capabilities. And we need their checks. And so here's another, here's another great case of using, creating a trade lane uh, from all the way from Spain and Portugal, all the way up to Rotterdam uh, is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I can't tell if they're talking about ships or a pipeline because they talked about the port of Rotterdam, right? They're talking about port of Rotterdam, but you know, like, for example, the port of Rotterdam, if I recall, and I think they came they uh, came through with this, you know, they were going to have a very large LNG export terminal at the port of Rotterdam, right? The port of Rotterdam is the largest port in the world. I think largest in Europe and one of the largest in the world. So they had an LNG export facility there, right? To take, and that was really the result of, of taking North American shale uh, gas and having it as a depot to sell it into Europe, which is really good now to diversify from Russian gas. Um I think this is something very similar. The Port of Rotterdam is probably going to have an import facility on station to be used throughout continental Europe. So I don't know. I suspect this will probably be both ship and potentially pipeline. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, though. Okay. Well, the point I was going to make is, you know, if you want to ship or pipe energy, I mean, who would you call right now? I mean, you call the oil and gas industry. That's what they do. So right. it makes logical sense for them to be involved in this. and. Right. You know, you, you said it. It's another way which we can leverage our existing energy assets and, and knowledge and companies to, to bring a clean energy transition. We also talked about a story about a year ago where I think Siemens was going to build or maybe Vestas was going to build massive wind turbines at in uh, off the coast of Denmark that had electrolysizers right in the turbine. And that you can actually have ships pulled up to that field and the ships would be powered by hydrogen. Right. So Port of Rotterdam may also be thinking about that as well. But hats off to Rotterdam, the city and the port for thinking proactively. So at least you get the green hydrogen infrastructure built out and then you can worry about end use application in a meaningful way a little bit down the road. Yeah, that's good to see. Shout out to our friends in Oregon. Um, I actually don't even remember this publication. I think it's uh, I think it was Oregon Public Broadcasting, quite honestly. Oregon State University plans to develop a battery that will not rely on rare minerals. So this is from uh, Monica Samoya, November 11th. Researchers hope an alternative technology will reduce the need for mining minerals such as lithium and nickel to meet demand for electric vehicle batteries. Uh, you know, we've seen a couple of these now where universities and research institutions are realizing that if we want to get the battery to go where we need it to go and power so much propulsion here in the United States, like every electric, you know, uh, residential vehicle, significant number of commercial vehicles. Uh, we have to be smart about the batteries we're making because we may not have enough rare earth minerals. Uh, we have companies like Lifecycle, uh, who we've had on the show to recycling lithium and other bat precious materials, which is fantastic. So I think the all of the above solutions also going to include making batteries that have less need for these. And I think uh, OSU here, Oregon State, they are awarded $3 million grant to explore that development. Hats off to them. Uh, I was really, I thought this was a really good story. Again, you know, we need all the above solutions. We need academic institutions like Oregon State and other great engineering schools to start thinking and working with uh, commercial companies in the area, in our area to start developing together the R&D necessary to like take as many minerals out of batteries as possible. So just really good story. Yeah, this is great to see. I mean, we've been tracking the the lithium story and I think we all know there's not enough lithium right for everybody to have an ev in the in the world so 
we have to find a solution to this. Really good to see the DOE funding this. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm super excited too about sodium batteries right now. I can't wait till we get sodium batteries deployed in EVs. I think they're going to reduce the cost of EVs below the cost of ICE vehicles. So that day is coming very soon. I'm just waiting for a press release any day now. Somebody's going to come out and say, hey, we have a $15,000 EV with 90% of the range or 80% of the range of a lithium-ion battery. And, you know, everybody's going to run out and buy that EV, right? So someday soon, it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be 15K, but we'll see. Yeah, and, you know, one thing here this article talks about, too, I think is Portland Electric is going to be involved because they're also talking about, you know, the need to have storage. And we've talked about it, and, you know, they've talked about it here simply. You know, obviously, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine, but it's really more about the duck curve specifically, which is matching solar generation, if you will, to the actual need. And there's a there's at least a four-hour difference between peak solar generation and peak electricity usage throughout the United States. So, you know, making smarter, faster, bigger batteries that may not require all those resources because those yeah. batteries are the size of truck trailers. Uh, you take those precious minerals out of there and those can deploy them to other automobiles, et cetera. Again, it's another win-win. And yeah, I agree with your thing, you know, sodium, everyone's talking about sodium right now. Yeah. Yeah, so, and notice here, I want to point out the price of lithium has soared tripling in 2021. I mean, this is what price does. Price is there to match supply and demand. And if there's more demand than supply, then the price goes up. And we're going to see this in markets too. We have to have a price that communicates to demand, you know, go find another battery that's cheaper if you don't need a lithium battery, right? So that's what Yeah, there's is. a story, story I did not publish here, but I did read. Like they're saying the U.S. is getting ready for a massive increase in lithium mining in the western part of the U.S., which is fine, which is great. Um, I would I would only be happy with mining lithium uh, is, you know, if we have a game plan to recycle and reuse those batteries, right, so we can get the most out of it, because that's the biggest argument against EVs is it's not as green as possible because you're still mining for these these minerals. That's just reality of it. So if we can get the most out of those minerals, great. If we can actually take some of those minerals out of the equation, so much the better. Yeah, and from what I know, lithium mining is very difficult, um, again, because it's dilute is my understanding. So it's very mm-hmm. hard to uh, concentrate. You know, if you do a 2x concentration, you got to do it eight, nine, 10 times um, to get to the, the the quality of lithium you need. Yep. So yeah. those are my stories. Um, I'm pretty happy with them. You know, great stuff. Uh, you know, again, I think there's a central theme about just growing the game and uh, just getting the innovation economy ramped up either all the way from the kind of the micro, which is university collaboration to the macro, which is you know, U.S. and UAE committing to $100 billion in uh, in deployment of, on the grid by 2035. Yeah. This is neat, too. This is a Mustang. That's the Ford Mustang EV. And I think it says, does it say horsepower? That's in the photo for those who actually <laughs> don't watch online because none of us, watch, no one watches us on YouTube. <laughs> no. There's the picture okay. of the charging taking place and it's got the Mustang logo. Yeah, so you can you can check the Oregon State story if you want to see. All right, um, I'm done. Uh, off to you. All right, I'm going to go. Canary Media, this is my story about price. Hawaii moves to a time-varying smart rates for most utility customers. This is the first in the nation's statewide plan that will nudge residents to shift their energy use to times that best align with Hawaii's increasing 
solar power grid. Again, Hawaii's trying to go 100% renewable. They're a trailblazer on this. This is a very good sign, in my opinion. This is what I would have recommended they done. Um, they're going to have a lot of solar. Prices are going to plummet in the middle of the day when the sun shines. And so customers need to have that information transmitted to them so that they can make decisions about when to use electricity, when to store electricity, uh, et cetera, so that this renewable electric grid can work. So this is a very good sign for me. It sounds like a time use rate, so it's not real-time pricing. Uh, everybody will know when the prices are high ahead of time. This comes from Julian Spector over at Canary Mita. You know, it'll be a very like basic three-tier structure where, you know, in times of high electric, uh, high solar output and low electricity usage, like early in the morning, those will be cheap. And then times like, uh, you know, when it's hot out in the afternoon, or the evening, after the sun goes down, those will be expensive. And so this will be very interesting to see how this plays out. They usually design these rates so that if you don't change your behavior, you end up with the same rate. Uh, but eventually that will probably uh, change once people get used to this rate. So very interested to see what happens here. I hope it has the impact that it's intended. Hopefully if prices for you know, the 6 p.m. hour get so high, people will start adopting storage themselves. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, we're really relying on price here to be the communicator to get solutions to the challenges of renewable energy. Yeah, I love this story for a couple of reasons. First of which, um, I love that they're also talking about the fact that I think they called it a grid access charge, where somebody who has a small <laughs> apartment is not going to get billed the same rate as somebody that's got a McMansion with three jacuzzis and a Tesla, or I think they actually said three Teslas and a jacuzzi. But I saw so first off, I really like that. Secondly, you know, it, again, I wish the federal government would put a lot more emphasis into incubation and incubators for technology on island economies. Because when it comes to energy, islands have to think smarter than the rest of us because their cost of electricity is so high. Mm. And anyone who's been following the state of Hawaii outside of the energy business knows that cost of living there is skyrocketing. And the average citizen is having trouble living in Hawaii now because of all the rich that, especially during COVID, bought second homes in Hawaii and are kind of pricing people out. So who gets disproportionately impacted are lower income families. So having the ability for them to have access to like controlling, if you will, their energy bill to have more savings is a great thing. I wish island economies, like especially Hawaii, especially Puerto Rico, would just be given a little bit more uh, incentivizing from the federal government to like propel these technologies so that they could start here and then work their way onto the continent. You know, it's a, it's a little easy too, because they're in a uh, tropical climate, so they don't have heating needs. So it makes it a little easier that way also. But I don't know if you know this, I, I stayed in Hawaii a few years ago and my hotel didn't even have an air conditioner. So things that we, you know, in temperate climates, may feel are absolutely necessary. Maybe are just conveniences in a tropical climate. Uh, maybe I'm moving to the tropics. So. <laughs> you know, on, on the flip side, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. When my wife and I go to Puerto Rico a lot, I couldn't believe the hotel we stayed at. Didn't even have the smart, um, the smart electricity in your hotel room where you have to plug yeah. in your card, your key card in order to actually turn the lights on. We could have left the lights and AC running all day when we were, weren't at, you know, when we yeah. were at the beach. 
And like that blew my mind away because, you know, Puerto Rico and Hawaii are two of the most expensive electricity uh, from a rate standpoint anywhere in the United States. Yeah, I was I was big on that when I worked in energy efficiency. I wanted hotels to adopt smart energy because then, you know, pretty much everybody uses a hotel at least once a year. And you would get to see the new technology for how we, you know, we're going to manage our energy use in the future. It's a perfect example, I thought. Um, the problem is the people uh, using your hotel are typically from out of state. <laughs> so they're not your taxpayer. They're not your ratepayer, right? So you're kind of giving benefits to, to out-of-towners. But, I mean, it's pro-tourism. Uh, Who doesn't love tourism? Agreed. Yeah. Good okay. Sorry. The next one. So this is the big one. This comes from our friends at Utility Dive. I mean, you can kind of see which news sources we like, Eric, every week here. Uh, from Herman Trabish. Uh, this is a deep dive as FERC's transmission proposal sparks clashes. Potential solutions emerge from MISO and elsewhere. It's a Midwest uh, ISO. So this is from November 7th. In case you didn't know, FERC is trying to revamp the transmission planning process for uh, the U.S. Uh, it's kind of an issue right now because a lot of transmission planning is done by states or even local utilities. And so there's not a lot of incentive, say, to build a transmission line across the U.S. Uh, so that, you know, New York can have uh, hydropower from Washington State, right? So no state is going to vote for that in the middle. So we have to have some kind of solution here that allows more kind of federal influence on transmission planning and build out. That's what they're trying to get to here. And obviously there's clashes on this that go all the way to the, uh, you know, 10th amendment. So it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of meat here. Uh, I don't know if they're, they're missing out there. Only uh, two items. One is to kind of revamp the, um, yeah, where is it? Streamline coordination in regional local transmission planning and interregional planning that allows development costs among states using all benefits to ratepayers. So making sure that benefits are aligned with who pays for it, that sounds logical to me. And they also had something that went away with FERC Order 1000, which was the right of first refusal uh, from utilities, and they're going to reinstate that. So it doesn't seem like a lot to me. I don't know. I would have to probably read some of the um, documents to find out what's really going on. But I do recommend digging into this if you're interested. We do have to solve this problem. As we talked with Jigger about, we need you know, his his quote was three to five X. I'm more on the three X side and we're not getting there. And so something's got to be done here. So No, this is great. And you just took the words right out of my mouth. I kept thinking about Jigger and, and yeah. having him on for episode fifty. Uh when you see this. Uh, you know, I think the one thing that's interesting is Princeton University already released a paper talking about how to improve the grid in the wake of the Inflation Reduction Act. So we've given a lot of shout out to Princeton University for their uh, their roadmap paperwork, uh, their white papers. So they're continuing on by taking advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act and then taking a lot of their research and saying, okay, here's what we need to do to achieve the goals. So that's hats off to them. Uh, you know, secondly, we got two issues here in the transmission in the United States, right? One is is modernizing it for the modern sources of power generation, especially wind and solar. But the other part, too, is, you know, we don't have a completely interconnected grid, right? So the ISOs kind of break up at the Mississippi River between east and west. And then you've got Texas, you know, standalone Texas. 
who, you know, will freeze in a snowball <laughs> while, you know, during any any weird winter freeze, mm-hmm. whereas Oklahoma is completely fine because they're able to draw electricity from their neighbors. So we we have to in, we have to improve the grid for both resiliency and the ability to adopt new sources of power. And we better get on this, you know, ASAP. And so it's great that, again, going back to what you said a few minutes ago, Lucas, you know, we're starting to think about that middle area, but transmission needs to be front and center. And, you know, this is why I'm still a big believer in the U.S. government needs a climate czar so that we can really kind of push through different agencies, you know, like uh, the ability to create the regulations needed, get through the red tape, and let's improve this infrastructure, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I would go more with the jigger. It's better to think about spending five times uh, than it is three times, just because we have, to, <laughs> we can't get this wrong. We well, cannot right. get this in this. Well, we have a climate czar, right? But he doesn't have any teeth. Uh, John Kerry. Yeah. He's just a, a figure. He's a Great guy. Love him. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's the right guy. I think you need a real execution guy a little bit, you know, probably not at the end of his career, not at the beginning of their career, but somebody right in the middle. Well, I think, I think he might be the right guy for the job he's in. I just think we need somebody more like what you're describing. We need another person. Yeah, um, um, yeah, I keep thinking about my my good friend and mentor, Eric Spiegel, former CEO of Siemens, head of Allen, football player in high school and college. <laughs> Gets, you know, Midwest genes here. Midwesterners, we get the job done. Yeah, um, get it done. Yeah. You know, jokes aside, though, I do worry about this little issue that you kind of gets from some of these Democrat initiatives, which is Democrats do a great job of putting together glossy presentations and big picture analysis. Uh, but someone's just got to get the job done now. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, we didn't really talk about the election a lot. Um, and I think mainly because first off, the results aren't completely in, but secondly, I think that the clean energy revolution is kind of on its way, regardless of who's in office and who's not. Obviously right. there's some stumbling blocks, but um here in New York State, I thought one thing was interesting. Governor Hochul, the Democrat, won 53-47 for governor, but 68% of New Yorkers voted for the $4.2 billion uh, green energy bond that's going to green a lot of the infrastructure. So when you take – that means a lot of Republicans and independents also voted for that bill. So that gives me hope that states like Colorado are leading the way, where Colorado could be a red state in certain circles – but they still believe in protecting their land and sustainability is the way to do that. Yep. We've said it before and I'll say it every episode. If I have to clean energy is a bipartisan issue. More than half of Republicans uh, prefer clean energy. So it's not a political issue at all. It's a national security issue too. Quite honestly, yeah, among others, it's, it's all the, well, you know, before we wrap up here, we got to do our disclaimers, views and opinions expressed by Lucas Finko and myself are those of ourselves and not necessarily of any organization we may be affiliated with. And also be sure to do your homework for any public companies that we may have mentioned that have public securities. Uh, we are not making a recommendation one way or the other on its security. Please consult uh, a registered investment advisor, certified advisor for making any decisions on any securities. But I like the stock. <laughs> well, good for you, man. Good for you. I'm not going to tell you which one, though. Uh, yeah, as as normal, you can find us on your favorite podcast venue. We're on about a dozen podcast venues. Um, you search for Pirates of Clean Tech and you click follow or subscribe so you get updated on when our latest episodes drop. We're also on YouTube if you want to see our pretty faces and follow along on the articles with us. 
you just go to YouTube, Pirates of Cleantech, you click subscribe, and then you click the little alarm bell so you get notifications on your phone like I do. Yep. So, you know, this is a great episode. We have a great guest lined up for next week. We have some other guests that are, we're lining up for before the holidays. Uh, you know, for everyone, thank you again. We were truly honored and humbled to find out that we're a top 15 podcast. And, you know, we, we've been joking about it, but the reality is it's because of people listening to us that really drives us and motivates us further. So thank you so much. Yeah. Are we, when are we going to have wireless charging EVs, Eric? What, 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 I have some questions about this. You know, that's a great idea. We should have a conversation. We may be having a conversation about that next week. We should have a fantastic guest on to talk to us about this. You know, so that your your Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade floats <laughs> can actually be running down the street and they have inductive charging to keep those batteries a humming. Yeah. Buses so. with inductive charging at the bus stops so they can run all day. Exactly. Well, listen, with that little teaser for next week, I'm Eric Plainy. <laughs> I am Lucas Fitko. And uh, together, thank you, noble creature, Cascals. We are the Pirates of Clean Tech. Yarr. Yarr.